I'm sure you've heard the phrase, you can't change other people, you can only change yourself. Well, it's not true. In fact, if you're a leader or a manager, it's your obligation to change other people, to help them become better at what they do, to become stronger. And if you care about the people in your life, then it's your longing to help them change in ways that support their own growth. This is the subject of my newest book, which I wrote with my good friend Howie Jacobson. It's called You Can Change Other People, The Four Steps to Help Your Employees, Colleagues, Even Family Up Their Game. It's based on my coaching methodology that I've worked on over the past 30 years, brought to you in a practical, step-by-step format that you can start using immediately. You can get it wherever books are sold. To download a sample chapter, either in written form or audio version, visit bregmanpartners.com forward slash new book. That's one word, bregmanpartners.com forward slash new book. And if you've already enjoyed You Can Change Other People, please consider leaving a review on Amazon to help others just like you discover the book. Now, on to today's episode. Hello, and welcome to the Bregman Leadership Podcast. I'm Peter Bregman, and I believe that the best leaders don't try to do it alone. As the CEO of Bregman Partners, my mission for over 30 years and the mission of this podcast is to help successful people like you close your leadership gaps, grow as leaders, and inspire your team, inspire all the people around you to get great results. We have with us again for part three of our conversation, Jim Lair. Jim is a world-renowned performance psychologist. He has done groundbreaking science-based energy management training system work. He's written The Powerful Engagement. He's written Leading with Character. Uh, I've enjoyed my conversation with him so much that I brought him back for, and he's generously offered to come back for, uh, for part three. Uh, of our conversation. If you have not listened to part one and part two, I suggest you go back to those parts of the conversation and then and then meet this one uh, after finishing part two. Jim, welcome to the Bregman Leadership Podcast for the third time. <laughs> it's great to be back. And I'm looking forward to where the heck this is going to go. <laughs> so it's been such a pleasure uh, speaking with you, and I'm excited for this conversation too. So you know, you 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 know, we've talked about how you use your energy and and the focus. Like the the most important thing you have is to make a decision as to you know how much and what kind of energy you're going to bring to a situation. And we've begun this conversation of talking about character, which is you know that in the end, what matters is not just simply whether you've won, but for the sake of what the kind of character that you bring to the situations that you're in, and that that's what we remember when it's when it's on our tombstones. And I'm what I'm what I'm curious about, and I mentioned in the last episode, uh, billions that the the role of Wendy, who's a performance psychologist working for a hedge fund, and you know she turns around, she turns people around when they're struggling. She says the right thing and helps them get their heads back on straight, and you know go back and trade positively. And and I'm curious about you, and you know like you've worked with 17 number one seeded players in their sports, and help them to get there. And I'm I'm wondering, uh, you know, what you can share both from a sports perspective and from the CEO work you do. Most of the people listening to this are leaders in organizations or work with leaders in organizations. Like, how do you help someone? Turn around, and I and I want to give you uh, a couple of different examples that we can play with. One is someone that I worked with at a certain point who, you know, who basically felt like 
the problem wasn't him. The problem was everybody around him. And, you know, he hires poorly because they don't get it. And, you know, he's frustrated with their performance and he shows all of the signs of someone who, you know, it's, it's, it's all about them. And, and it's all about winning in their particular venue. There's someone else uh, who is, you know, a lovely person who struggles with leading their, their people and, and who um, puts a lot of the blame on that. I guess this is a similar situation, but it comes with a very, very different energy on, on people who have it out for her or who, uh, you know, or who are manipulating the situation so that they, they get this person out. And, uh, and then finally, there's someone else I can think of who simply, you know, like does really well, really, really cares. They, they make a misstep and they sink, they spend the rest of the day, you know, uh, uh, spiraling down into, I can't believe I did that. I can't believe that happened. And they're performing, you know, I'm sure you know the term PACE, performance after critical error. They, they fail drastically at performance after critical error because they care so deeply. They take that critical error uh, badly. And I'm, so I've given you three different situations. It's a, it's a mouthful, but I'm wondering how, how we could take what you've written in Leading with Character, what you know as a performance psychologist, to help people in these kinds of situations turn around. So the most significant insight that I gained in my entire career, I've been around a long time and I'm, I'm an old guy, it's gonna sound so simplistic and you're going, well, why in the hell did it take you that long, Larry, to learn that simple understanding? But we didn't have the evidence to support it. We built the evidence and I think that's why Johnson & Johnson ended up eventually buying the Institute. And the, the, the inside is simply this, health ignites performance. We realized we were in the performance, we were the Human Performance Institute, which is now the Johnson & Johnson Human Performance Institute. We realized we were simply in the health business, in the health business. And health is physical, it's emotional, it's mental, and it is spiritual character health. And what we ended up realizing was everything we did was simply helping people get healthier and their performances got better and better. In all three of the cases you mentioned, they have deficits in one or more of those areas. And when you realize they need more work in, you know, in perhaps the mental area where they are more careful about the way in which they invest energy and in, in who and in what and the assets that they're trying to grow in people. It could be emotionally, the kind of emotional leadership. It could be even the way they take care of themselves, their diet, their nutrition. Uh, and then it may well be, you know, the whole issue of arrogance and the absence of humility. Humility is such a wonderful, wonderful trait, um, really character trait in people, because it means you listen, that you don't believe you have it all yet. And those that have that arrogance are, are people who kind of shut the door on future learning. And they're very hard to deal with, the big egos, and we all been around them. So when you describe those people, what we would take all of them on and look at where they're where we could get them healthier in all dimensions and work those muscles 
until they have a more balanced portfolio of personal strengths. And the highest level of you know, health, as I said, is actually in the spiritual, in the character space. So we're gonna start there. We're gonna look at, we're gonna look at who they wanna be at the end. We frame whatever it is that they're doing, their leadership. What are they trying to accomplish? What's the end game? Is it simply to make more money, get the corner office? What, what is it that actually is going to be the scorecard? And then we push them to try to get them to go all the way to the end of their life and what's gonna matter. And we may completely reframe what the whole adventure is for them. And that changes the game. Change the scorecard, the game changes. And most people have never ever really looked at this in exactly the way we try to get them. And it really does uh, make a profound difference in how they treat others, how they work, how they hire, how they let people go um, and so forth. And they still have to make tough decisions. You know, we learn in the character space, just like in the, in the body, that if you have a strong tricep, you better have a fairly robust bicep to balance it out or you're gonna get dysfunctionality. So if you have a lot of confidence, you need to have it balanced with humility. If you don't have that, you get arrogance. On the other side, if you don't have your insecurity balanced with confidence, what you get is this sense that I can't do anything, maybe a, a sense of almost an imposter in what I'm doing and everything. And you, you're, you carry a lot of insecurity and people read that in your leadership all the time. And you make a lot of bad decisions for that reason, trying to cover, it's really CYA, to try to cover yourself from being actually exposed. So the highest is your spiritual, your character, your purpose, your values, your ethics. The second highest is your mental, which is this, this is what I call the evolutionary upgrade. You actually can now be aware, fully aware of what you're thinking, of where, you're in, where you are putting your energy, of what you're saying to people and the impact you are likely having on people if you choose to. So we're gonna use this amazing ability for reflective thinking, for, for consciousness, for being aware that you're aware. We're gonna take that and leverage that to the hilt so that we're gonna to begin to make changes in those assets. We're gonna grow things you need to grow to balance out your portfolio in whatever area needs to be advanced. And it may be in the physical area, it might be in the emotional area to build the muscles of positivity and optimism and hope and uh, to balance those out with tough thinking and all the other assets that will help you have a balanced portfolio. And so um, everyone is in that mix somewhere and we all have deficiencies and we all have assets, capacities. And they're all learned. None of this is inborn. And you get it from the people you're around, the people that you're surrounded and you're learning it every day. You might have learned it from your peer group or your fraternity group. And all of this stuff begins to manifest in you know, sometimes very bizarre ways. And you'll never link it back to that experience or those experiences, but it comes back and you realize I'm a complicated human being and I'd like to take control of this system as opposed to just letting it go where it's gonna go, I'm gonna be much more um, 
intentional about everything I do, most importantly, where I put my energy and who I become as a consequence of my time here on earth. What happens, Jim, when, when values or the scorecard or elements of the scorecard come into conflict? So, and, and I'm thinking very specifically about this um, experiment that they did at Princeton Theological Seminary, you may know it, I, I, was, I, I, I love this experiment, where they asked these soon-to-be ministers to give a speech about the Good Samaritan. And they all gave them, they gave them times when they were giving the speech. And then on the path between where they were preparing for the speech, or the sermon, it was a sermon on the Good Samaritan, on the path between where they were preparing to give the sermon and where they actually gave the sermon, they um, had a man lying in their path, like in obvious suffering and pain lying in their path, right? They're giving a sermon about the Good Samaritan. And in, in a, a large number of cases, I don't know what the percentage is, the, the soon-to-be ministers who were about to give a sermon about the Good Samaritan walked over the man, right, in order to go give the sermon. And the determining factor of whether they stopped wasn't character, wasn't, I mean, you could argue, of course, it was character, but when you actually looked at the data, the determining factor as to whether they stopped to help this man versus whether they walked over was whether they were late. When they were, if they were late to give the sermon, they walked over the person. If they had extra time, they stopped. And I find that such a fat, like, you know, such a fascinating experiment about how character is, is you know, really determined by priorities in many cases. In, well, in it, is, it is determined by your credo. If being on time for that was more important than helping someone, you're making eight to 10 or 12 moral and ethical decisions every day. And if you don't have a clear operating system, trust me, it's not going to work very well for you. You're going to make all kinds of compromises. You look back on your life, you're still going to make mistakes, but you won't make nearly as many. And it won't be any easier. It might be harder because now you're going to hold yourself accountable. Southwest Airlines used to use a very interesting way of deciding who they wanted to be their flight attendants. And they would put them in a room and uh, they had to give a five minute speech about why it was important for them to be a, you know, a flight attendant and why, why they should be chosen over everyone else. And so there were cameras in the room and you know, they were videotaping everything. And everyone thought that the decision would be made on you know, who made the best presentation. The cameras were really on the people in the audience who were those, and they didn't, give, they didn't have any time to prepare, they just had to get up and do it. Those who were preparing their speeches and not being engaged and, and being very discourteous to the person speaking and really thinking <laughs> about their own thing, those are the people, those are the people who didn't make the cut because they wanted people to show respect even though they're under pressure, they, they gave uh, a sense of honoring whatever the person was saying, even to the detriment of their getting up and not being fully prepared. I thought that was pretty brilliant. Wow, that's brilliant. And so talk to us about this personal credo, because it, it, you know what you've said, which I, I firmly believe in, right, which is there are going to be all sorts of reasons why we are going to be distracted from the path that we want to right. take. So we have to be very, very clear and intentional and strategic about what that path is. We need a structure that allows us to act 
you know, fully and creatively in the moment within the structure that we've sort of defined and superimposed on ourselves to keep us, you know, on the path that we want to stay on. So I'm curious what that is and how to do that. So every time you make a moral and ethical decision, you're referencing something. So we, again, thousands of people, we ask, what are you referencing? Where did it come from? And they go, well, I'm not really sure. Well, it came from my parents. And then I would ask, do parents ever get it wrong? Parents have prejudices, things you're not really too proud of. Do you think you have any of that? Where else might you've got it? Well, maybe from religious teachers. Do religions ever get it wrong? Um, is, are there flaws in a lot of this religious you know, doctrine that you're not really completely, a, and you might have some of that? So we, we go to all your peers, you're on and on, all the things that influenced what you believe is right and wrong. And almost all of them are, have potential flaws. And then I say, are you still living your parents or your religious teachers or your coaches? Or is it yours or are you living someone else's morality? So the whole point is, how about developing your own and making it your own and doing it deliberately over a fairly consistent, long period of time and holding yourself accountable for what that might be? And really what we're talking about, your personal credo is your roadmap for getting home. And if you're a deeply religious person, you can put all that in there. But I want it to be conscious and intentional. And I want it to be something that you will defend because you've actually vetted it on your own terms very carefully. And then I want you to confront all the operating flaws in your system. And there are, whether it's, as I said, motivated blindness or cognitive dissonance, there, there are so many of these that actually make it almost impossible to get where we want to go because we're always manipulating things to get what we want unless we call ourselves out on it and we build a habit structure that prevents us from defaulting unconsciously into things that we know when we sit down and think about it, we're wrong. Just think about this, you know, when you're when you haven't eaten right and you're, you know, really tired, you haven't slept much, and you come out and you, uh, a waitress or valet attendant comes out and they give you the wrong car, or bring the wrong food, and you absolutely just destroy them. You want their name, you want to get them fired, and in your mind, they completely deserve it. But really what it is, you didn't take care of yourself, you violated what you believe, you know, they, they, made a mistake, how many mistakes have you made that you know you would, would never want anyone to hold you accountable in the way you just did them? And so you begin to say, wait a minute, I am in a grouchy mood, I am irritable, cranky, I did not sleep well last night, I haven't had anything to eat for you know hours and hours, it's my bad, I'm gonna, I'm gonna sit back, I'm not gonna say anything, I will swallow it, and if anything, I'm going to step up and build my muscle of patience and build my muscle of generosity uh, and kindness, because this is the best opportunity I have to do that. And I will feel good about myself. And I will also build their sense of, uh, you know, character as well by the way I treat them. And that is what the whole book is all about. It's great, Jim. I I, uh, I had lunch with someone. We were thinking about doing some business together, and and I had lunch with someone, and 
uh, and he treated, he, he's a nice guy. He's famous. He's like, you know, he's like someone you would know. And, and it was sort of interesting to me to say, okay, yeah, we could do something together. This could be interesting. And he treat the, the, the waiter didn't, and it was a nice restaurant and the waiter didn't get his, he had a bunch of special requests and he didn't quite get it right. And he was so rude with, he was so frustrated and rude with this waiter that I, I left the, I left that lunch. And even though the business deal looked kind of like it could be lucrative and it could be interesting and it would be nice to be, I was like, I'm never going to do, I'm never going to go to business with him. I can't like, if this is how this guy trusts, treats his waiter, then uh, that this is not someone and it, it was actually self-interest in my view i was like this isn't someone i want to be in business with because you know they're going to treat me that way uh and and it's and yeah, it they really violated like something in you it's almost like they violated the sense of trust or or even honesty or goodness and when you cross that line people don't even if you're winning they want you to lose they are rooting for the other person you asked these two great questions next to each other and you just alluded to it. And I, and I, and I love it. Cause it's not, it's, it's, you, we would ask this question with children, but we don't ask this question with ourselves, which is, you know, when was the last time your ethical strength was seriously tested, right? you you talk about falsifying information on a resume or finding someone who didn't deserve it, or, um, you know, or, 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 or just the way you just described it, like getting really upset at someone, which uh, embarrassingly, I have to admit, I've done like I've, I've gotten like a sense of injustice at the way, you know, someone does something and it's ridiculous. And then you ask the second question, which is, to what extent did fatigue, lack of sleep, poor nutrition, and so forth contribute to your character failure. And almost always, it's an oppression of time, or I'm I'm not going to get something that I want, or I'm stressed that something's at risk, and and it's like and those things take over, and they take over our better judgment. And I, I love it's not two things that people would necessarily link. Although when a kid throws a temper tantrum, you do think, are they fed? Are they warm? Are they, you know, do they need a nap? Like, you know, we'll ask those questions, but we don't ask those questions of ourselves. ourselves. And, and my question is, how do we, I guess you answered the question, which is, you know, how do we, you know, wh when we're feeling that the oppression of time, et cetera, it, it's, it's a moral, ethical, disciplined muscle of recognizing what's going on and willfully overcoming that in that moment in order to live by whatever personal credo we end up developing. So you're 100%. We are tested every day. Uh, we are called upon to make you know, tough calls all the time. And if we are deficient in energy, if our reservoir of energy is very low, we have a lot of cortisol floating in our veins, these adrenal cortical hormones, we're much more edgy, much more irritable. And that compromises our moral and ethical character, the decisions we make, unless we have this conscious awareness, hey, wait a minute, I am compromised here. I'm not going to do what my in instinctive response might be. I'm going to rise above that. And here's an opportunity, an opportunity for me to build a muscle under stress that uh, is really going to, you know, be inspirational for anyone who sees it because they know I'm in a grouchy bad mood and my kids are watching my spouses are watching my employees are watching this is who I really aspire to be and I will not get myself in this situation again 
if at all possible. But if I do, I guarantee I'm not going to follow, you know, the same path and that a lot of other people would follow. But it's so interesting uh, that, you know, there, there is, there's two pieces to our moral machinery. And one piece is coming up with the right decision. This is what I should or shouldn't do. This is how I should respond in this situation. That's the moral judgment that is often hijacked by our very flimsy moral machinery and not having a personal credo we vetted very, very intentionally. There's another piece of this that is equally, equally challenging. And that is once you know what you should do, will you actually carry through and do what you know is right? And those are operating, those two systems in the brain come from different places. So you might, you know, they'll do the ethicists in a university, people who specialize in learning about ethics, and they get that beautifully. But then they look at the ability to carry those out in their life, and they are worse generally, but they can be worse than the general population. That there's a difference between understanding what to do and then actually having a system that really gets you to do it with courage, with conviction, because there may be real consequences if you follow uh, what you believe is the right thing here. There might be huge consequences for you and for your family. So knowing and doing are both parts of that machinery. And uh, I, love, I talk about it as your personal Yoda when you, when you make these decisions. And if you go to that special place, that place that you know is the, is the most noble part of you, there is a reservoir of wisdom that is remarkable. I, when I have people tap into it, they've faced problems for months and months and had no ability to find the answer. They tap into that and the answer comes out almost immediately. And it is because there is this ability that we have to kind of consciously go above all the riffraff, all the crazy ideas and thoughts, go right to the core and we see what we should do. And then the courage must be rallied to actually do it. That's great. And to, and to, to, to gather that courage, any tips on how we can find that courage in that moment to do that? Look at your life scorecard. Who the heck do you want to be? I mean, we're, we have to do that every day. What do you want to get home or not? And, you know, living a conscious, very conscious awareness life with intentionality is not for the faint of heart because, it, you know, you're always kind of looking at who you are and how you're responding in a way that if you just walk through life and never, never really reflect on it, it just seems like it's so much easier, but it's so much more difficult. You need to have a face the truth moment in everything you do. You need to know what getting home, what your purpose is, and you need to invest your energy accordingly. And that's how people feel fulfilled and satisfied with their life. And that's where real joy comes from. So how do we find that purpose? You, you wrote a companion book to Leading with a Character called The Personal Credo Journal. And I'm, I'm wondering if you could share a little bit of the process of how do we, how do we not just uh, follow the inputs, you know, flawed as they may be that have, you know, brought us to, to you know, the, the 
how you know we're living with a certain credo whether we like it or not like they're like it's it's an yeah, you have one that may not even be yours and likely isn't yours but you're using it and it not it's not very well designed you're not even sure what it is or where it comes from you're doing it by pretty much instinct automatically so how do we how do we rewrite our owner's manual so you know we began with this notion of purpose and purpose is not like finding a, a prize in a treasure hunt. You don't just discover it, you create it. You were given this gift of life and now you get to decide what you wanna do with this life. And it is your energy which will enable you to execute that and uh, to make it happen. And it will be your purpose, no one else's purpose. We learned at the Institute when we share the purpose of other people, everyone goes, Ooh, I like that one. I'm going to, I'd like to, that would be mine. I'd like to do that one. So we gave <laughs> no examples because they had to come up with an original document, the same right. as a credo. Right. And I, it's got to be, you are an original and your whole system has to be original. And so this notion of, uh, of really getting your life on track, you have to decide. And the only way you're going to get your purpose right is you've got to assume you have to face the fact that none of us are getting out of this alive. This, this is gonna, you, you're a terminal case. We all are going to um, end this adventure at some point, none of us are getting out of this alive. So you go to the end of your life and you build forward what this life should be if this is the end point. And then this begins to put together this statement of purpose. How, what, what is the purpose for you being here? And ultimately everything should be aligned in that way, your values, your beliefs through that prism. And then your brain starts investing energy accordingly. You summon the emotions that serve that. And then you take care of yourself. So you have plenty of energy and life to bring to the fulfillment of your purpose throughout life and as long as it might be. But you don't know what it is until you go to the end and you can't give someone a purpose, but out of purpose comes passion, comes resilience, comes I'm not giving up. I have a reason, I'm gonna go through this storm repeatedly. I will not be stopped, I will not be deterred. I am on a mission here, get out of the way, I'm gonna get it done. And that is what you're trying to get so that you have passion in life you actually are here for a purpose, a purpose that in all likelihood has very little, if anything, to do with you, except the contributions you can make to the lives of others. Is it, can I ask you to share your purpose with us? I don't know if that's like uh, too personal. Well, that's the same but... thing. If I share my own people go, oh yeah, I'd like that. I'd like that. that theirs. But I'm wondering if there's like a way, I mean, I don't, I, I understand that point about, about the examples and people just appropriating it, but I wonder if there's like some way you have of, of helping people to understand this is sort of what I mean by purpose. Like, I, you know, I think you could think of purpose as I'm going to eradicate world hunger. That's the purpose of the World Bank, you know, like I'm going to eradicate poverty. Right. And that could be, you know, Jim Kim, who is the head of the World Bank, he's not now, but that was his you know, purpose for that time period. Are you talking about something so structural and achievement oriented in a sense? Well, it is, It is again, something that, you know, you, you look at, you know, all of the things that you have come to value, 
all the people that you value, how you want your life to be represented, the impact you really want to leave on planet Earth when you are gone. There will be um, some kind of consequence for you being here. And the, the journal takes you through all of that. 10 minutes a day, you, you write all that out. You will never be the same, I guarantee you, after you do that, those exercises. It changes the way your brain works. It completely, it, it puts into this neural processor uh, a different kind of software mm -hmm. that it, uh, through which everything is vetted. And, it, and for the rest of your life, I believe journaling is one of the most powerful ways to get information embedded in this prefrontal cortex that is really the operating center of your evolutionary masterpiece. Um, and if you, if you go through those exercises, you begin to uh, get really specific on, you know, you might have, I want to curb hunger in the world and, and I'm going to find ways in my own small little world here to make a difference in that area. And I'm gonna get all my children as much as I can to understand what my purpose is and why I'm doing this. And it will be pretty clear to people, this is a major, major issue. And my success as a human being will be to the extent that I actually devote an important part of my life to curing you know, hunger in the world. And then you take off with that. And then you're, you're I don't care how many no's you get, you're still fighting for it. And it may be just in your little neighborhood. It might be in your city. It might be on a worldview, but it comes out of the fabric of your own soul. It's not something you have adopted from someone else. And, and you, you have to dig it out. It takes a lot of hard work to get in and decide, what the heck am I gonna do with this life I've been given? And it is, uh, it's gonna take some time and you never, it's never a completed document. You're always in a new phase of getting more clarity, getting it better. And this personal credo that you've developed is never a static document. It's always, always becoming more precise in the way you think about it. And it's, you may change some of the very basic elements of it as you learn and as you go through life. So this journaling actually is something I hope you do for the rest of your life or intentionally just reflecting on this so you don't get stuck and by the time you're 50 or 65 you think you're done you are never done and i imagine that a big part of this isn't just that thing you want to achieve because someone could go off to eradicate hunger and do it as a narcissist and do it you know with aggression totally. and do it with and you're doing it because you want to become the person that has recognized that has... for eliminating hunger yeah so it that, that this character piece becomes you know, like it all goes back to that in the end. That's what that's what I came to in all of our research and data collection. It all comes back to that. Uh, a lot of the great minds of the past, from Aristotle, Socrates, they had a lot of that insight, and you know, they were not far from the mark. And what if you're in relationship with someone, and warmth and character, and doesn't feel important to them like they're not approaching you with that but you're still in relationship with them you're not going to be out of relationship with them are there ways that you can help them change be what you want them to learn yeah, be the change, yeah yeah 
Jim, it is such a pleasure talking with you. It's this is the the sort of end of part three of our of our three part conversation. We've been speaking with Jim Lair, who's a world renowned performance psychologist. He's written the book uh, "Leading with Character" and the personal credo journal that we've been. That's what we've been talking about uh, here on the show. Just a lovely, lovely guy. It is. Uh, I'm so thankful that you've had the time to have these three conversations with us, and thank you so much. Jim, for being on the Bregman Leadership Podcast. No, I've enjoyed our, you have some, I love it when someone has an understanding of the issues and you're, you know, you've obviously thought about these issues uh, greatly. And for me, it's far more interesting when we've got questions that actually get to the core of what I think might be the thing that might change people's minds or at least bring some new awakenings to them. So I'm hoping we connected with the audience and I really enjoyed the time spent with you. Thank you, Peter. enjoyed this episode of the Bregman Leadership Podcast, then you also might enjoy my newest book, You Can Change Other People. You can find it on Amazon or wherever books are sold or by going to bregmanpartners.com forward slash new book. That's one word. If you've already enjoyed the book and found it useful, consider telling a friend or leaving a review on Amazon. Leaving a review helps retailers recommend the book to others just like you. So it's really helpful. Thanks to Claire Marshall for producing this episode. Thank you for listening and stay tuned for the next great conversation.